Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Peter. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. glorify God, the devil runs away. He does. That's how you get rid of him, by praising the Lord, even in the storms. I'm not buying it. devil beat it. And he runs. The devil's got to go. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So whatever you're going through, you know, God put it there. We just, just accept it. See you later, Satan. I'm, I'm a child of the king, no matter what you try to put in my head. can't take it from me. Amen. You're going to try it, though. Each and every day, you're going to try it with discouragement, control issues. You don't see things happening, discouragement. And then everybody, you know, you get down and out. And like, the, it's like, we shouldn't have to get down and out. You know, the, the Bible tells us that he'll never leave us, he'll forsake us. And there's a purpose in everything he does. To grow us up and change us. Alright, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to stop here tonight. And we know that's well, let's see, let's go to verse 6 of Matthew chapter 3. As always, the Holy Spirit will be taking over. So try to clear your mind of anything that might be trying to distract you with that. To get a crystal clear message from the Bible tonight. Amen? Amen. We've been here five nights in a row. Well, people come on Saturday. I mean, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I can keep coming. It doesn't matter to me. I love it here. <laughs> what else is there to do anyway up there? This day has its value. Chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water 
those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be the slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, and what do we do? We get on fire for God. He puts it inside of us, and all of a sudden, like, He puts His Spirit in us, and we get on fire for God. We just can't get out of the Bible. We love to read it. We love to come to church. Something happens. It's amazing. When He, when he, when he puts His Spirit in That's how you know you get the Spirit. When you want to be here. You don't have to be here. You want to be here. And look at it says in verse 12. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat when it's willing for then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of him. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Amen. Amen. Right? So he, got, he came up out of the water, and he said something like a dove came down, and it, and it showed that the Holy Spirit came into him. That was awesome. Alright, let us go to us. We're going to start in our uh, first Peter chapter 5 tonight. We might be finishing our uh, first Peter tonight. Maybe. We'll see what the Spirit tells us to do. Yeah. I'm going to summarize this a little bit. Alright, first Peter 5. First Peter 5 closes with a few instructions to leaders, reminding them to be good shepherds with what God has entrusted. To be humble and to cast all anxieties on God because of His great love and care for us. We are encouraged to be self-controlled and aware that the enemy is looking to devour. However, the remedy is to resist and stand firm in faith. Peter closes this letter by reminding us that God of all grace will restore all things and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. It's funny right here. It says, however, the remedy is to resist and stand firm in faith. We just did a study last night on faith, right? That's how important faith is. So we can resist the enemy. All right, let's go to verse 1. Advice for elders and young men. And now a word to you who are elders in the church, or the leaders of the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager, to serve God. When anybody takes a leadership position, it isn't that, it's not that they get served, we serve you. And it's that we do it, not what I'm going to get out of it, but I, because I'm eager to serve God for what he did to me, for me. All right. Before we go on, okay, Peter, 
one of Jesus' twelve disciples, was one of the three who had seen Jesus Christ's glory at the Transfiguration in Mark 9, right? In Peter 1, 16-18. Often the spokesman for the apostles Peter witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, preached at Pentecost, and became a pillar of the Jerusalem church. But writing to the elders, he identified himself as a fellow elder, not a superior. He asked them to care for the flock, exactly what Jesus had told them to do in John 21, verse 15 to 17. Peter was taking his own advice as he worked along with other elders in caring for God's faithful people. His identification with the elders is a powerful example of Christian leadership, showing that authority is based on service, not power. Mark 10, 42-45 Elders were church officers who provided supervision, protection, discipline, instruction, and direction for the other believers. That's what an elder does. Elder simply means older. You know, you have to say, respect your elders. That's what it means, older. Both Greeks and Jews gave positions of great honor to wise older men. And the Christian church continued this pattern of leadership. Elders carried great responsibility. And they were expected to be good examples. So any elder or leader of a church has to live by example. Not just be a preacher, but also practice what they preach. Right? Any men here? Very important. You see that today, that's not happening. They just take it as a vocation, do what they want to do, live whatever way they want. Not by an example. Not living for the Lord. They weren't called. They went, but they weren't sent. When you're sent by God, trust me, you fear God, and you live for Him because you know that you're going to have to answer for that. And what you teach, the Bible said in that, and I think it was Matthew, that if you cause somebody to stumble or fall into sin, you're better off tying a millstone around you than you're jumping into the water, because then on the day of judgment, when God judges you for doing that to hurt somebody, that's how important it is. That's how accountable He holds leaders. And in verse 3, it goes on to tell us, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Okay, the great shepherd here is Jesus Christ. Okay? This verse refers to his second coming when he will judge all people and give rewards to his faithful followers. The crown, while metaphorical, pictures the eternal and unchanging glory believers will receive. What better motivation for selfless service? What better motivation for keeping the faith in the face of suffering and temptation? Knowing that we're going to receive a crown of glory. Right? 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's Proverbs 3, verse 34, he's quoting there. So he's saying, we, a leader or anybody even in the church, has to humble themselves, not be proud of the gifts that God gives us, not be proud of them, but to be humble and serve and use them with all respect and diligence to help other people. Okay, now let me just reiterate here, 
Peter describes several characteristics of good leaders in the church. Okay, number one, they realize they are caring for God's flock, not their own. Two, they lead out of eagerness to serve, not out of obligation. Three, they are concerned about what they can give, not about what they can get. And four, they lead by example, not force. Everyone leads others in some way. Whatever your role, your leadership should be in line with these characteristics. Get any men here? Not just the church, but if you're a leader in a job or a leader as an employee, you should lead by example with those very principles right there. As you're a leader, even in a job, you serve them; they don't serve you. Same idea as a Christian. You take good care of the people that are underneath you. And you lead by your own good example. Like I said, don't lord over them or be proud that you're above them, but be humble enough to work around with them. And it's I'm just like you are. I'm just put in this position so we can make this all work together. Okay? Both young and old can benefit from Peter's instructions. Pride often keeps older people from trying to understand young people and keeps young people from listening to those who are older. You know young people, right? You try to talk to them, they're so prideful, you can't get a word in, you can't tell them anything, they already have all the answers. It's like, okay. Peter told both young and old to be humble and to serve each other. Respect those who are older than you, listen to those younger than you, and be humble enough to admit that you can learn from others. That's a big thing right there. You always keep an open mind, No, you can learn from anybody. When God puts somebody in front of you, you can learn from them. Doesn't matter how old they are, how smart they are, or anything. Always be humble. Verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. So God's timing and our timing is two different things. When we do something, be humble, you know, take a hit for somebody or whatever. And listen, we don't have to wait for a reward. When we say, oh, I'm doing good, how come nothing good's coming back? It says, at the right time, he will lift you up and up. So we do the right thing, not to get rewards for it. We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I came here every day this week to preach and do the, what we had to do, open the church for everybody. Why? To get rewarded? No, because that's what I'm supposed to do. And get an amen there. We do it because we want to do it. Actually, after. Alright? We often worry about position and status, hoping to get proper recognition for what we do. And that's the way the world is. But Peter advises us to remember that God's recognition counts more than human praise. I definitely understand that principle. God is able and willing to bless us according to His timing. Humbly obey God regardless of your present circumstances, and in His good time, either in this life or in the next, He will honor you. There's no guarantee you'll get your reward while you're here. So you get rewarded up there. It doesn't matter. Listen, when you do good, good will come back, one way or another, or someday. And even if it doesn't, it's better for you to do good than to do wrong. We don't fight evil with evil, we fight evil with good. An eye for an eye doesn't work for a Christian. As a matter of fact, it's counterproductive. Alright. Verse 7. This is a big one right here. 
Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Now, do we do that? Let me ask that. Do we give God all our worries and cares to Him, for He cares about you? Listen, carrying our worries, stresses, and daily struggles by ourselves shows that we have not trusted God fully with our lives. That's exactly what it means. I'm going to read that again. Carrying our worries, stresses, and daily struggles by ourselves shows that we have not trusted God fully with our lives. Humility is needed, however, to recognize that God cares, to admit our needs, and to let others in God's family help us. Sometimes we think that, struggle, that, that struggles caused by our own sin and foolishness are not God's concern. But when we turn to God in repentance, He will bear the weight even of those struggles. That's why repentance and confession is like an ongoing thing for a Christian. Letting God carry out anxieties calls to action, not passivity. Don't submit to circumstances. Submit to the Lord who controls circumstances. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. See, that's Christian maturity. When something doesn't go your way, listen, just leave it in God's hands. Let's brush it off. Listen, there's so many things that go on in my life. If I was to carry all that, I wouldn't be able to come up here and preach because my mind would be cluttered with all that. So I just what? Give it to God. He carries it all. He carries all the weight. But you really have to give it to Him. But it shows if you haven't done that, that you don't really trust Him fully. But that's okay. That's something that we're growing into. Here's a big one. Verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't think Christians understand that when they don't come to church, or when something distracts them from coming, that the devil is stopping them from coming. There's a very important message that's supposed to get. And they let the devil, he gets... He gets the ones that are, uh, uh, like, I'm going to, let me keep going. I want to talk about this. This is important. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. None of us are exempt from suffering. We all suffer. It doesn't really matter. Now listen. Lions attack sick, young, and straggling animals. They choose victims who are alone or not alert. Peter warns us to watch out for Satan when we are suffering or being persecuted. When you are feeling alone, weak, helpless, and cut off from other believers, or when you are so focused on your troubles that you forget to watch for danger, you are especially vulnerable to Satan's attacks. During times of suffering, seek other Christians for support. Keep your eyes on Christ and resist the devil. Then says James, he will flee from you. James 4, 7. Why do Christians have a problem asking for help from other Christians when they're going through something? Because some people are just so prideful that they don't want other people to know that they're struggling. And that's where pride comes in. Instead of saying, I need help, please help me. 
I'm weak. I need other believers to help me. No. They don't ask for help. So what? They struggle alone and the devil gets them. There's no room in the Christian life to be proud, to have any pride. All of us have struggles and problems. We're supposed to share each other's burdens. Like we did last night, right? We get together as men and women, well, the guys anyway, when we get together, we talk about stuff that is going on in our lives. What, 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 for a week or something's bothering us, we're talking about it. So this way here, we can relate to each other and strengthen each other. Say, hey, you're not alone, bro. I'm with you on that. I go through that too. And it keeps us all humble and on the same page. I love when the guys, when we go get together, right guys, we go down there, we talk, it's awesome. We get real with each other. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Because then we can really uh, really let, it, let go of what's really going on with us. Alright, verse 10. In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. I think people, I think churches leave this out. They don't preach this. So after you suffer for a little while, <laughs> well, we don't have, we don't know. I mean, I can suffer? Really? As a Christian, I get stuff I thought I get blessed. We get the smiling preacher. You <laughs> get blessed. Never have any problems. Wise. So after you suffer a while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. If you go back in the Old Testament and the prophets were trying to warn the people, listen, smarten up, do the right thing, repent, God wants to help you. They didn't want to listen to good, wholesome, truth preaching. Just like people right now don't want to hear that. They'll want to listen to somebody with a smile, telling you everything's going to be fine. If you lose your job, don't worry, God's got a better one for you. They, they don't tell you, well, if you lost your job because you never came in on time, or you, uh, or you were incompetent, they don't tell you, like, oh, you're not going to get a better job. They just tell you you're going to get a better job no matter what the circumstance is. And that's not God. That's not God at all. It doesn't work that way. If you're doing, just think about it. If you're doing good at a job, and then there's an opportunity comes to get a better job, and God puts you in a better position, that's different. But if you lose your job because you're not going to work on time, and God's not going to bless that. So he tells us to respect the door, we like respect him. I go to work for Jesus every day. That's what he tells me to do. And that's what he tells everyone here to do. This way here, you give 110% of yourself to them. Alright. Before we go on, when we have suffering, we often feel as though our pain will never end. Isn't that so true? You suffer for something, you just think it's never going to be over. It seems like an eternity. Peter gave these faithful Christians a broader perspective. In comparison with eternity, their suffering would last only a little while. Think about it, compared to the whole spectrum of life. It's only for minor, it's only for a season. Some of Peter's readers would be strengthened and delivered in their own lifetimes. Others would be released from their suffering through death. All of God's faithful followers are assured of all an eternal life with Christ, where there will be no more suffering again. Revelation 21, verse 4. <clears throat> Just imagine, when Jesus comes back and when we get to heaven, no more suffering. Just think about that. 
just get breathe. Yeah. Right now we go through, but listen, if you're, if you're a real faithful Christian and you live for God, you are not going to have a happy-go-lucky life down here. You are going to get persecuted and you're going to shine light on people, even Christians that are living in darkness, are going to persecute you and talk about you because you're living for Jesus. So don't expect to get like, oh, there's so nice people. No, they're going to talk about, they're going to talk bad about you. Because they're going to slander you because you're shining light on something that they can be doing that they're choosing not to do. Amen. And guess what? Keep shining for Jesus. Don't listen to what people think. He's the only one you have to answer to. Just glorify Him with your life. And love people. I'm going to be amen there. Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother, my purpose in writing, all right, he's going to tell us why he wrote, is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. So what is he saying? To assure you that what you are experiencing right now is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in his face. Is anybody experiencing something they're not happy about? It's truly part of God's grace for you. Everything that goes on in your life cannot happen unless God allows it. So listen, just, just take it with a grain of salt. Say, you know what, Lord? If, you, if it seems good in your sight, then I'm going to glorify you. Because I don't, even know what's, I don't even know what's right or wrong in my own head anymore. That's why I don't have to rely on God. I'm going to amen on that. Alright, let's talk about Silas here. Silas was one of the men chosen to deliver the letter from the Jerusalem Council, okay, to the church in Antioch. It tells us that in Acts 15.22. Okay, he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey in Acts 15.40, 18-11. It's mentioned by Paul in the salutations of his letters to the Thessalonians and ministered with Timothy and Corinth. Mark also called John Mark was known to, me, to, to many of this letter's readers because he had traveled widely and was recognized as a leader in the church. It is possible that Mark was with the disciples at the time of Jesus' arrest in Mark 14. Tradition says that Peter was Mark's main source of information when Mark wrote his gospel. Alright, verse 13. Wow, we're going to finish this. Good thing I had something ready for that after this. <laughs> Does anybody think know where we're going to go after this? All right. Your sister church here in ba Babylon, or the elect one in Babylon, Babylon was probably a symbolic for Rome, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you. Who are in Christ. Amen. Amen. Alright, now let's tell me before we close yeah, this one. Peter wrote this letter just before the cruel Emperor Nero began persecuting Christians in Rome and throughout the empire. Some years earlier, afraid for his life, Peter had three times denied even knowing Jesus. 
Remember that account, John 18, 15, and 27. But now, having learned how to stand firm in an evil world, he encouraged other Christians who were facing persecution for their faith. Peter was later martyred for his faith because he lived by the words he wrote. Those who stand for Christ will be persecuted because the world is ruled by Christ's greatest enemy, Satan. But just as the small group of early believers stood against persecution, we must be willing to stand for our faith with patience, endurance, and courage that Peter exhibited. He went from denying him three times to dying for his name. That's the transformation that takes place through suffering. See, when you suffer long enough and you give in to, you, you, you turn your life over to God, that's when you get your power. When you get rid of your flesh. As long as your flesh is still alive, if God can't do anything for you, you're going to kill that off. That's what he's doing now. And how's he killed off? Through suffering. Does anybody here have a, a, a stubborn flesh? Only two of you, huh? <laughs> At least you reach your hand. All of us have a stubborn, stubborn flesh. It's bad, isn't it? You know, when you really know your flesh, how bad it is that you try to say no to it. Especially when you want to say something. You know what I mean? When you want to get your pound of flesh in, and you want to really say something, and you can't. It's almost like... <laughs> That's how powerful it is. But he says, no. Keep your mouth shut and give it to God. That is a process that all of us go through. Some, some situations are weaker than others, and some situations are stronger than others. All right, so what do you think we're going on? Does anybody have any idea? Second Peter. <laughs> Why would we not go to Second Peter? <laughs> Second Peter is awesome. All right, let's go. We're going to break into 2 Peter. I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to break into this. In 2 Peter, all right, listen now. Warnings come in many forms. Listen now. Lights, signs, sights, sounds, smells, feelings, and written words. With varied focus, their purpose is the same. To advise alertness and give notice of imminent danger. Responses to these warnings also vary from disregard and neglect to evasive or corrective action. How a person reacts to a warning is usually determined by the situation and the source. One reacts differently to an impending storm than to an oncoming automobile. And the counsel of a trusted friend is heeded more than advice from a stranger or the fearful imaginings of a child. Second Peter is a letter of warning from an authority none other than the courageous, experienced, and faithful apostle Peter. It is also the last communication from this great warrior of Christ. Soon after writing this letter, he would die. Martyred for his faith. Previously, Peter had written a comfort and encouraged believers who were suffering and being persecuted. An external onslaught 
But three years later, in this letter, in this letter, containing his last words, he wrote to warn them of an inter internal attack. Okay? Complacency and heresy. He spoke of holding fast to the non-negotiable facts of the gospel, of growing and maturing in the faith, and of rejecting all who tried to distort the truth. Following this advice would ensure Christ-honoring individuals and Christ-centered churches. After a brief greeting in 1 Peter 1, Peter gives the antidote for stagnancy and short-sightedness in the Christian lives. And then he explains that his days are numbered and that the believer should listen to his message in the words of Scripture. Then Peter gives a blunt warning about false teacher in chapter 2. They will become prevalent in the last days. They will do or say anything for money. And that's what you see right now in the churches. Anything to get money. They will spurt, they will spread the things of God. They will do whatever they feel like doing. They will be proud and boastful. And they will be judged and punished by God. Peter concludes his brief letter by explaining why he has written it. To remind the believers of the words of the prophets and apostles who predicted the coming of false teachers. To give the reasons for the delay in Christ's return and to encourage them to beware of heresies and to grow in their faith. Addressed to those who share the same precious faith. Second Peter could have been written directly to us. Our world is filled with false prophets and teachers who claim to have the truth and who clamor for attention and allegiance. Listen carefully to Peter's message and heed his warning, determined to grow in your knowledge of Christ and to reject all those who preach anything inconsistent with God's word. How about an amen there? We know that this church does not preach anything that's inconsistent with the word of God. Alright, the vital statistics, the purpose is to warn Christians of all false teachers and to exhort them to grow in their faith and knowledge of Christ. Peter was the author, the audience was the church at large, approximately date written, AD 67, three years after first Peter was written, okay, it was possibly written in Rome, and in the setting, Peter knew that his time on earth was limited. So you don't have to understand how important this must have been for him to make this message, because he knew his time was short, and he knew he had to get this out there before he passed on. So he wrote about what was on his heart, warning believers of what could happen when he was gone, especially about the presence of false teachers. He reminded his readers of the unchanging truth of the good news. And the key verse in here is, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. The key people in this in this scripture, Peter, Paul, and Paul. Special features, Second Peter's date and destination are uncertain, and its authorship has been disputed. Because of this, it was the last book admitted to the canon of the New Testament. Okay? Also, there are similarities between Peter and Jude. So what's the blueprint of this book? This chapter, this song? Guidance for growing Christians, danger to growing Christians, hope for growing Christians. While Peter wrote his first letter to teach about handling persecution, he wrote this letter to teach about handling heresy. 
False teachers are often subtly deceitful. Believers today must still be vigilant against falling into false doctrine, heresy, and cult activity. This letter gives us clues to help detect false teachers. The mega themes here is, if our faith is real, it will be evident in our godly behavior. Growth is essential. If people are diligent in Christian growth, they won't backslide or be deceived by false teachers. If, if all the church could hear this right now, right? Growing, growth begins with faith and culminates in love for others. Big message on faith last night, right? But faith works by what? Culminates in love for others. The whole question is, do you love others enough to be truthful with them and honest with them and to do whatever it takes to be of service to them? That's what love does. It denies self for the benefit of others. You get an amen here. Amen. To keep growing, we need to know God, keep following Him, and remember what He has taught us. We must remain diligent and faithful obedience in Christian growth. And the theme of this is the false teachers, the explanation. Peter warns the church to beware. Okay? These teachers were proud of their position, promoted sexual sin, and advised against keeping the Ten Commandments. Peter countered them by pointing to the Spirit-inspired scriptures as the only authority. False teachers are still prevalent today. Christians need discernment to be able to resist them. God can rescue us from their lies if we stay true to His Word, the Bible, and reject those who distort the truth. How about a big amen there? All right. Let's, let's stop. We've got a couple minutes here. Let's break into this. 2 Peter, verse 1. Guidance for growing Christians. This letter is from Simon, or Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Okay. First Peter, I mean, um, it was written, First Peter was written just before the Roman Emperor Nero began persecuting Christians. Second Peter was written about three years later, after persecution had become intense. First Peter was a letter of encouragement to Christians who suffered, but Second Peter focuses on the church's internal problems, especially on false teachers who are causing people to doubt their faith and turn away from Christianity. Second Peter combats these dangerous beliefs by denouncing the self-serving motives of the false teachers and reaffirming Christian truths, the authority of Scripture, the primacy of faith, and certainty of Christ's return. Verse 2. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now listen, many believers want an abundance of God's grace and peace. Don't we all? But they are unwilling to put forth the effort to get to know Him better through Bible study and prayer. 
How do we get to know God better? Through Bible studies and prayer. To enjoy the privileges God offers us freely, we must grow in our knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Simple. Growing in faith. Verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So we have no excuse. He says He's given us everything we need for living godly. Can I get an amen here? Amen. We have received all of this. How have we received all this? By coming to know Him. The one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises, now listen, that enable you to share His divine nature. It says, the promises enable you to be like Jesus, to share His divine nature. And what else does it help you to do? Escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Can I get an amen on that one? If we want to escape our desires, we have to what? Bank on the promises of God. We have to get to know the promises of God. Didn't we pass our promise books? Yes. How many people open them up and read them? Think about it. Yeah, I got a promise book. Yeah, you open you gotta open it. Because those are the promises that what? Enable us to be like Jesus and to what? Escape the corruption caused by human desires. So if your flesh is strong and you want to escape from it, it tells us to go bank on the promises of God. So I'll never leave you to forsake you. I give you everything you need for living godly and all the power you have to say no to your flesh. You just have to trust me. And it's not about a feeling. It's about the fact of the Bible. How many of us, our flesh is weak so we just fall to it? Because it feels like we can never resist it. The Bible says resist. Right? Submit, resist, and he will flee. Who's the ultimate tempter? Satan. Oh. The closer you get to God, have you not noticed how much more you get tempted to fall back into your flesh? Everything you fell into, whatever you sold out to, whatever sin that you committed, that's why God hates sin. Because once you fall into it, now you have to fight it for the rest of your life. See, if you never fell into it, then you would never have to fight it. Once you fall into sin, now the devil has you because you sold out there. Whenever you sell out to your sin, now you have to fight for that to get back to get back into God's will again. That's why when you keep sinning, the harder it is to, to follow God. So you can come to church and still live in sin and have no freedom at all. As a matter of fact, you're in more bondage than ever. Now get a big amen on that one. See, you have to understand that sin, your sins don't hurt God. They don't hurt God. <laughs> they hurt you. Mm. Not only you, though, but they hurt at least five other people. When you do something selfish and self-centered for yourself, you affect five other people, whether you know it or not. And they all suffer because of it. That's how selfish and self-serving sin is. It's evil, right at its core. It ruins the church, it ruins your testimony, it ruins your life, it kills you. People die, people think they die of disease and everything. No, you die from sin. Sin is the disease. What do you think it kills you? You do sinful things that kill you. 
quote, so let's just reiterate on that. The power to lead a God-honoring life comes not from within us, but from God. How many Christians try to live this life out in their flesh? I'm going to be good today. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get angry. I can do this. If you can do this, then you do not need Jesus Christ. So you have to say, I can't do this. That's the only time God can ever do anything for you is when you say, I can't do it. But people think that they have such a strong will that they can do it and they think it's not God doing it for them. Whenever you accomplish anything in your life through self-control, that's from God, not from you. Not from you, it's from God. Anything good comes from God, not from your flesh. People just want to think it's them doing it. That's immaturity. To know that's immaturity thinking that it's your power and you're within your own power you're doing it. Absolutely. That's what it is. Alright, the power of me to God on me life comes not from within, but from God. Because we don't have the resources within ourselves to truly follow God. He allows us to share his divine nature in order to keep us from sin and help us to live for him. When we are born again, God by his spirit empowers us with his own goodness. That's what it tells us in John 3, 6, Corinthians 5, 21, and 1 Peter 22 to 23. All right, we're going to stop there. When we get back together, we're going to go into verse 5, okay? Dave, you want to come up and close us? Thank you. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful to have this beautiful church, Lord. Yes, thank you. Lord, I just pray that you would challenge our hearts each day to take what we learn here, Lord, and become doers of your word, Lord, not just readers of your word, Lord. Yes, Amen. Lord, there's no place that we'd rather be, Lord, than here in your house, Lord, here in your word, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you continue to watch over this church and this congregation, Lord. Anybody out there who might be sick, not to know, just go and join something, Lord. I pray that you touch their hearts, Lord. Bring them back here to church, Lord. Reassure them that you're never going to leave them or forsake them, and that you're with them always. Amen. 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 All right, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave.